Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 through verse 18. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 through verse 18. If you are a guest with us this morning and do not have a Bible, may I encourage you to uh, let us know. We can get one to you. We've got some Bibles back there. If you don't own a Bible, please take this as a gift from us. And if you're, if you're a member and forgot your Bible, raise your hand, because I would like everybody to open their Bibles and look at these words. Put your fingers on these words. Let these words just go through your mind and your eyes. There's nothing more important, friends, than the Word of God. It is God's very Word. So I want you to look at it and read it and ask God to speak to you. And before I read this section, I want to set it up for you and help you to understand the context of what we're about to read. What we're about to read, church, is about Jesus Christ's sacrifice. Jesus Christ's sacrifice. We have, in the last few months, been studying in the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews, the theme of that book is that Christ is greater than all. It started off by Christ being greater than Moses. And then it moved into the major theme of the book, starting in chapter 4, that Christ is a greater high priest than Aaron. There's this contrast between Christ and the Old Covenant. Because this book was written to Hebrew Christians. That is to say, those who were born in the Jewish faith, the Old Covenant but then heard the gospel, God saved them, and they now entered into the new covenant in Christ. But they were tempted to go back to the old. So throughout the book of Hebrews, there's this constant contrast. And for many chapters, chapter 4, 5, 6, and 7, the contrast was between Jesus, the great high priest, and the Jewish high priest. And then in chapter 7, excuse me, 8, and chapter 9, the contrast focused in on the new covenant that Jesus brought versus the old covenant that was already in existence. And now in chapter 10, we move from contrasting the covenants to now contrasting the sacrifice. Now, why is that important? This is why it's important. Because the sacrifice is the way you relate to God. The question for these Christians was the following. Do I relate to God according to the old covenant sacrifice of priests who offered animals and various other things on a daily basis? Do I rely on that sacrifice to relate to God or do I rely on Christ's sacrifice? Now for us today, it's just as important because it is, is the focal point of how you and I relate to God. Do we relate to God according to Christ's sacrifice alone? Not just when we're initially saved, but every day of our lives until the day Jesus comes back or we die. Or do we subtly substitute something else for the basis of our relating to God? And by the way, the substitutionary atonement of Christ. A fancy term for simply saying, trusting in Jesus' sacrifice is under attack today. 
In the Christian world, particularly in America, what is called the penal substitution of Christ, what is called his atonement, his dying a bloody death on a cross to take the wrath of God for you and me and give us life is under attack. People say, how can God, that's a, that's a barbarian God, that must be an Old Testament God. God's not like that, he's just love. It's not fair that he would punish Jesus for my sins. Seriously, guys, it's under intense attack in the church today. And God is being neutered into being just this nice guy, like a nice deity. So this doctrine is intensely important. Intensely important for how you relate to God every day so that you subtly don't drift into trying to relate to God through any other way than the, than the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So please, please look at these words as I read them and please ask God to help you understand and apply Christ's sacrifice as we look at the contrast between Christ's sacrifice and the old covenant sacrifice. So read with me here, Hebrews 10, verses 1 to 18. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Sins. Verse 5. Consequently, When Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken, taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. Now in your Bible, circle verse 10. It's a key verse. It's a summary verse. And by that will. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Circle verse 14, another summary verse. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, 
After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. For where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Lord, I pray that you would please give me strength now to focus, Lord. Help me to be focused. Lord, I pray for everything that's happening in this room. I pray for a stillness and and a focus on your word, Lord. I pray this for the sound system. I pray for everything, Lord. I just pray for for a, a moment of undistracted reading and understanding of your word. Lord, I, I just even pray now, have mercy on us. We're so easily distracted. I am so easily distracted. Help me. For this truth is central to our daily relating to you, Father. It's central for me, and I so easily forget it. Help me to explain it faithfully to your word and help my friends to hear it. Lord, those that are, those that are unbelieving right now, who have no idea what's just been going on, who don't understand words like substitutionary atonement. Lord, would you speak to them in the language they do understand through this scripture and convict their hearts of a need, the need for your sacrifice to obey God. And for the believer in this room that feels so distant from you because they keep blowing it, they keep failing you. They don't obey you and they feel so distant from you and they don't want to come to you. Oh God, may this truth reverse their faulty thinking and may they come running to you because of your sacrifice. And Lord, the believer who thinks they earn access to you by their good works the person in here that's had all his quiet times or her quiet times and thought they've obeyed you perfectly and somehow subtly are relating to you according to their good works, oh God, disturb them profoundly right now. That they may run from a self-righteous, self-atoning, self-sacrificing Christianity, which is no Christianity at all. May they be broken to cling to you and you alone. And all of us in between. Speak to us, Father, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you wake up each day with a driving desire to obey God? Is this a growing desire in you as you move through your day? Is it a desire that translates into actual obedience to God from the heart? I want these questions to frame our text this morning. Because as I mentioned, Hebrews 10, 1-18 is about Christ's sacrifice being better than the old covenant sacrifice because only Christ's sacrifice, only Christ's sacrifice is able to, It enables us to obey God from the heart. Only Christ's sacrifice enables us to obey God from the heart. Our text here reveals the reality of Christ's sacrifice, giving us a new heart and a new desire to obey God. You see, in order to obey God from the heart, which is what God requires, we must have a new heart And that is what Christ's sacrifice accomplishes for us, dear friends. If you're taking notes, 
The propositional statement, the main statement, the summary statement of this passage is as follows. Christ's sacrifice enables us to obey God from the heart. Christ's sacrifice enables us to obey God from the heart. Christ's sacrifice enables us to obey God from the heart. If it's been a while since you have had a profound desire to obey God, if it's been a while since you have felt particularly uh, moved to pursue God, then I believe this text is speaking to you today. It is Christ's sacrifice which enables you to obey God from the heart. That's the truth that is being communicated in the text. And the way it's being communicated is through contrasts. We're going to start with two sections of contrasts. Verses 1 to 10 is one section of contrast. And verses 11 to 14 is another section of contrast. So remember, the original audience are Hebrew Christians who are tempted to go back to the Old Testament sacrifices. They wanted to go back to the Jewish law in order to relate to God. So God provides these two sections of contrast to tell them that Christ's sacrifice is far better than the covenant sacrifices of the Old, of the Old Testament. So let's look at the first of these two sections of contrast between Christ's sacrifice and the Old Covenant sacrifice. Let's look at verses 1 to 10, okay? Verses 1 to 10. Lord, give us grace to understand this. Give me grace to preach it clearly. As we look at verses 1 to 10, you're going to see two sections here. The first one is verses 1 to 4 that are going to describe the Old Covenant sacrifice and then verses 5 to 10, which are going to, dis- going to describe the new covenant sacrifice. And notice what describes the old covenant sacrifice. Look at verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. So what's the distinguishing factor of the old covenant sacrifice. It can't make someone perfect. The people that are drawing near to God. People are trying to relate to God based upon something, an old covenant sacrifice, that can't make them perfect. Okay, Al, what does it mean to be made perfect? By the way, if you're taking notes, I would say the first point are the two contrasts. We're going to be talking about these two contrasts for a while. The first found in verses 1 to 10, and the second one found in verses 11 to 14. So under this first contrast between the Old Covenant sacrifices and Christ's sacrifice, we see that one of the main aspects of the Old Covenant sacrifice is it's not able to perfect, at the end of verse 1 there, you see it? Make perfect those who draw near. What does it mean to make, be made perfect? Is it, does it mean a moral perfection? No. Here's what it means. To be made perfect, you might want to jot down some highlights here, means to qualify one to draw near to God by forgiving one's sin and cleansing one's conscience. To be made perfect means to qualify one to draw near to God by forgiving one's sin and cleansing one's conscience. Don't you see the law fails here? Look at verse 2. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But the old covenant doesn't work. 
they know they still have consciousness of sin. So it disqualifies me from drawing near to God. You see, the old covenant sacrifice and the old covenant worshipers didn't really have as a primary uh, desire to obey God or even worship him out of delight. They were doing it out of devotion so God wouldn't kill them. Their conscience was guilty. They were disqualified from uh, drawing near to God. Actually, they were disqualified from enjoying a relationship with God. That's what being made perfect means. And the reason is, as we saw in verse 2, their conscience. They still had a consciousness of sin. Verse 3, here's logic. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. Every year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. And you know what that reminded everybody? Our, still, our sins are still in play. I still feel guilty. Isn't that what happens to us sometimes? We're about to go into the Holy of Holies, fellowship with God, and what are we reminded of? I don't qualify. Or we don't even go into God's presence. We don't go to God's presence. Look at verse 4. Why? For it is impossible by the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It's impossible by the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Okay, folks, so here we have the old covenant sacrifice. Now we're going to contrast it in verses 5 to 10 with the new covenant sacrifice in Christ. Because here we've got an amazing scripture. Here in verses 5 to 7, we have a recording of a conversation that took place between God the Father and God the Son at God the Son's incarnation. Incarnation is a fancy word for God becoming man, incarnating, becoming a physical body. So just as Jesus is about to come as a man, he has a conversation with the Father. And this conversation is recorded for us in verses 5 to 7. Now I need to tell you something. Verses 5 to 7, quote the Old Testament. Jot this down. Verses 5 to 7, quote Psalm 40, verses 6 to 8. Psalm 40, verses 6 to 8. God, in his sovereignty, a thousand years before this happened, this was penned, had Psalm 46 through 8 penned. And that always was a conversation between the Son and the Father. It's just the people didn't know it. They thought it was King David talking. But now Hebrews chapter 10 verses 5 through 7 tell us, no, no, that's Jesus talking to the Father. And he's talking to the Father, and they're going to describe for us what is the sacrifice that God finds acceptable. And they're going to give us an interpretation as to how to look at this old covenant sacrifice. So let's look at it. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, his incarnation, he said, Christ said, quoting now from Psalm 40, verse 6, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written for me in the scroll of the book. End of Psalm 40, verse 8. Now, 
God, through the author of Hebrews, is going to provide us a biblical interpretation of that psalm. Look at verse 8 now. I'm in Hebrews 10. I'm in verse 8. When he, who's the he there? Christ. Said above, quoting now, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. So let me explain that to you. The author of Hebrews is now going to comment on Psalm 40, which is a a conversation between God the Father and God the Son. And he's saying when Jesus mentions sacrifices and offerings, if you look at that in verse 5, and then skip down to verse 6, burnt offerings and sin offerings, he's talking about all the offerings of the law. Now, I don't have time to go through all the offerings, but these four offerings pretty much cover all the offerings the law had to give. Okay, So he's saying in verse 8, when he's talking about that, He's saying, that's not what God desired. What? I thought the law was ordained by God. I thought that the law given by God to Moses on Mount Sinai in 1500 BC appointed priests to offer these very sacrifices. Yes, he did. But those things were a type. Now stay with me. This is is good stuff. This is chin-chilling, spine-tingling. This is good. Are you with me? Okay, it's going to get a little deep here, but you can do it. And if you can't, just wave at somebody and we'll pull you out of the deep end of the pool and make sure you don't drown. The old covenant sacrifices that Jesus is talking about, those four things, were a type meant to foreshadow or to point toward the anti-type. You can write that down, it won't hurt you. Type, anti-type. So the type, the Old Testament, remember, remember what it said earlier? It's but a shadow of things. It's sort of, it's not the real thing, but it's the shadow. So, so what he's saying is the type is looking forward to the anti-type, and the anti-type, that which fulfills the type, is Christ's sacrifice. So what, what, he, what Jesus is saying is, yes, God ordained these sacrifices, and they were good while they lasted, but they were always meant to point to something else. And you know what the something else is? Yes, Jesus, very good. But obedience. Obedience. God never just wanted you to sacrifice a bunch of animals. Sacrifice. He wanted you to obey him from the heart. So Jesus comes. Look at verse 7. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. See, what he's saying there in verse 6 when he says, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. What he's saying is, all these animal sacrifices, they're a type of the sacrifice, the body of Jesus Christ. And he wants worshipers to come because they want to obey God. See, in the Old Testament, that wasn't really their motive. Their motive was to escape God's wrath once a year. Let's get through this, man. High priest goes in. Hopefully he doesn't get killed. Hopefully they don't drag him out with a rope on his ankle. Hopefully we make it another year. But I'm not really interested in serving God or worshiping God. I just want to get through this. Okay? It couldn't perfect a man's heart. He wasn't obeying from the heart. And and so that's why he says, I didn't desire those. I desire someone to come and do my will. And that someone is Jesus Christ. So that his sacrifice is better than the old covenant. As a matter of fact, if you look at verse 9, it supersedes the old covenant. 
Verse 9, then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first order, old covenant, to establish the second order. Now, here's the key, summary verse. Look at verse 10. Why is Christ's sacrifice superior to the sacrifice of the old covenant? Here it is, verse 10. And by that will, which will? That will there is specifically pointing to the cross. You can just circle it and put the cross. There is the will of God that Christ fulfilled all through his life. He never disobeyed the Father. But that will, that will is related to that body. And that body is Christ. And that body is the fulfillment, the antitype of all the animal bodies that were sacrificed up until the day Jesus was sacrificed. So that will is Christ dying on the cross. It's Christ saying, not my will be done, Father, but thy will be done. It's the obedience from the heart that God wants from every one of us that we all fail in, but Jesus succeeded in. It's what qualified him to be the once and for all sacrifice. And look at verse 10. And by that will, what was accomplished? By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. What a contrast. What a contrast. Whereas the old covenant sacrifices could never take away sins, oh, friends, Jesus' sacrifice did. What does this word sanctify mean here? Well, it's in the perfect tense. It means it's a done deal. It's once and for all. It reflects a desire to obey God. It is the result of a radical transformation and consecration to God's service by the cleansing of our sin. That's what it means there. It's, It's a radical transformation and a radical desire to obey God because our sins are cleansed. That's what it means. It makes us fit for the presence of God. In fact, you might want to jot that down. Sanctify there makes us fit for the presence of God. Fit for the presence of God and hence able to offer acceptable worship. Fit for the presence of God, able to offer acceptable worship. Fit for the presence of God, acceptable worship. That's what it does. Now, let's look at the second contrast. We're looking at Christ's sacrifice. Look at verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. What's happening in verses 11 to 14 is simply a repeating of verses 1 to 10. Therefore, it's important. He wants to go back over with you that the old covenant sacrifices cannot take away sin. See, the argument here in verse 11 is this. Pay attention here. The old covenant law appointed many priests and every priest, numerous, more than one. It appointed many priests who stood daily, who stands daily, verse 11. If you jump back up to chapter 10, verse 1, it was year after year, every year. So these many priests stand daily. You know, a priest was never allowed to sit down in the temple when he was serving. And they offer many sacrifices. Do you see that? Verse 11, the same sacrifices repeatedly which can never take away sin. Now, contrast this. Remember, this is second group of contrasts. First group is 1 to 10, now 11 to 14. Now, contrast this with Christ's sacrifice. Look at verse 12. But when Christ had offered... Okay, so first of all, many priests, now one priest. When Christ had offered for all time, that means a once and for all deal. Many repeated sacrifices, Christ made one sacrifice 
A single offering for sins. Not many sacrifices, but one offering on the cross. He sat down at the right hand of God. The high priests are still standing. My friend, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And you know why he's sitting? Because his offering was accepted. Because the offering for sin succeeded in forgiving me and you of our sins. And he's at the right hand of the Father. Oh, friends, this speaks of the worth and the dignity of Christ's sacrifice. He's not just seated somewhere in the heavens. He's at the right hand of the Father. It speaks of his kingly role, the throne of God, combined with his priestly role. You might want to jot down here Psalm 110.1. This is definitely an allusion to Psalm 110.1. Why do I give you Old Testament uh, passages? Because I want you to study your Bible. And take notes so that you can study this for yourself afterwards so you can become biblically literate. You know what it says, and it convicts your heart. And when you are tempted to trust your own sacrifices to try to please God and relate to God, you can pull this out and say, no, I'm thinking wrongly. Here's Christ's sacrifice, and here's what it accomplished for me. You can memorize this, and you can make the connections, the biblical connections between Old Testament type and New Testament anti-type, and you can worship Jesus and know that Jesus fulfills the old, and Jesus lives today, and Jesus is your life. Jesus is the way you relate to God, not because I say it, but because you know it in God's word. You got it open. You're being a man. You're leading your family. So that's why I give you those references. Look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. Continuing with Christ's sacrifice. He's not only seated at the right hand of God, he's waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Now this is a rich, rich picture, friends. This is also a picture of Psalm 110.1. Write that down. Psalm 110.1. Because Christ's sacrifice promises complete subjection of his enemies as he waits until that day, which is the final day of history when he comes back. His waiting, though, is not passive. We know that he is actively interceding for us in the heavenlies. We studied that several weeks ago. He's praying for you and me. See, the strong son of God, whose once and for all sacrifice has cleansed our sins, is praying for us. We have access to the Father. That motivates you and me to pray from the heart, not as a dead duty, but as a delight. Not to gain God's favor, but because Jesus has given me God's favor. This will revolutionize your life. This is what God wants you to do in obeying him. See, Christ's exaltation and his victory over his enemies is the reason, is the reason. Listen, when it says here, until all his enemies are brought um, to make a footstool to his feet, this is the reason we plant churches. This is the reason Jose Prado and his family are going out to, to Westchester with a small group of people and no money. Armed with the gospel, because Jesus' sacrifice is powerful, and he is exalted, and he's at the right hand of the Father, and he's waiting for his enemies to be made a footstool to his feet, so we go preach in that victory. It is a personal sanctification. It is a personal qualification to enter into God's presence, and it's a corporate call to preach the gospel. Oh, may that excite you, friends. His victory is over the devil and every force that opposes his redemptive purposes in our lives and the world. Now, first contrast, 1 to 10, ended in a summary statement in verse 10. Write this down. 
Second contrast, verses 11 to 14, is going to end in a summary statement in verse 14. Summary statement of verse 14 is going to be parallel to summary statement of verse 10. It's going to be a little different because it's going to add richness and texture to Christ's sacrifice. But let's read it together, verse 14. Let's enjoy this verse. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time Those who are being sanctified. Friends, this is the main verse. This is the summary verse for our text this morning. It reflects the decisive character of Christ's sacrifice and his finished work. Let's take our time to walk through this verse. First, first, what does this verse teach us? It teaches us that the means by which Christ perfects us is his sacrifice, his body and blood. Do you see that? For by a single offering, We already know from verse 10 that that single offering is Jesus, his body and blood. Second, so the first thing this verse teaches us, the means by which Christ perfects us. Remember what perfect means? Qualify us, qualify us to draw near to God by forgiving our sins and cleansing our conscience. Qualify us to have a relationship with God. That's what perfect means here. Okay, so the means by which Christ perfects us is his sacrifice, his body and blood. Second thing this verse teaches us is this. Christ has perfected his people for all time. Do you see that? For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time. See those words? All time? The perfecting of believers, as we mentioned, involves qualifying them to draw near to God and enabling them to enjoy a new covenant relationship with God. And that is possible by the forgiveness of sins and by the cleansing of their conscience. And it's for all time. Now, don't don't miss this. It's for when you have a good day and you, you buy something for your wives, guys, on your way home. And you pray for your kids perfectly at night as you're putting them to bed. Or singles, it's, it's for the day that you resist the temptation to impurity. Or whatever your temptation is. It's for that good day. And it's for that bad day when you do the opposite of all those things. You are perfected. You are qualified to draw near to God based on Jesus' sacrifice, not your performance. Oh, my burden is that you would really believe that and apply it. And you know how I know if you're applying it? Is if you're pursuing God exactly right after you've sinned a horrific sin. If you're running from God, you don't understand it, and you're not applying it. But God is kind and patient with you. So that's why he's preaching it to you again this morning. You see, do you live in the reality of these new covenant truths. What are those truths, Al? That I'm qualified to draw near and that I can have this new covenant relationship with God based on the forgiveness of my sins and the cleansing of my conscience. Uh, Hebrews 9.14, we preached that a couple of weeks ago. For the blood of Christ is able to cleanse my conscience from dead works to do what? Serve myself? No, serve the living God. Do you live in in, in, in the good of that? Do you draw near to God with confidence? Do you enjoy this new covenant relationship with God on a, on a regular basis? Or are you sort of a little distant from God? If you are, then let this, this fuel your heartfelt desire for obedience. And number three, third thing this verse teaches is this. That those whom God perfects are those who are being made holy or sanctified. Look at verse 14 again. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So, Al, what does the sanctification mean here? Is it a progressive sanctification? I don't believe that's what it's talking about here. I believe 
that this is one of those once and for all sanctifications, or better put, consecrations of God through the effective cleansing of from sin that qualifies me for fellowship with God and is only possible through Christ's sacrifice. I actually think sanctification, perfection, these are synonyms in these verses. They just give us a full orb, more, 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 more varied, nuanced, beautiful texture of the sacrifice of Christ, of the beauty of what Christ has done. Here's the bottom line. The law and its continual sacrifices, your works, you're trying to be self-righteous and do everything right, and that's your access to God, or you're running from God because you think you're disqualified. Whatever you substitute for Christ to relieve you and to try to get some sort of access with God, it's all dead. Only the sacrifice of Jesus Christ can deal with the sin that separates us, that disqualifies us from drawing near to God that that can then perfect us. Only the blood of Jesus can sanctify us and cause us to live lives of consecrated worship acceptable to God. Now, these truths, and particularly verse 14, they're testified to by God himself. Look at verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. So if you're taking notes, point one are these contrasts, 1 to 10, 11 to 14. Point two is this. Christ's sacrifice produces obedience from the heart. Christ's sacrifice produces obedience from the heart. Verse 15 is going to introduce Jeremiah 31, 31 to 14, 31 to 34. If you have a Bible like mine, you'll notice that verses 16 and 17b are in different type. That means it's an Old Testament quote. So we're connecting dots again, remember folks? So what we have here is we have this this Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, this new covenant in the Old Testament, which Jose preached on several weeks ago that was in detail spoken of in chapter 8. We have this new covenant... It's an application. It's an application of this new covenant to the results of Christ's sacrifice. And this application is made by God himself. Okay, I know that was a little difficult to understand. Let me try to say it again. What we have in verses 15 to 18 is God saying, I'm going to now apply the new covenant, even though what we're talking about here is Christ's sacrifice, I'm going to go back and look at the new covenant that Christ uh, ratified or, or brought into place, and I'm going to apply now that new covenant to the results of Christ's sacrifice. Those results are that we are perfected, that we are sanctified, that our sins are forgiven, we have access with God. I'm going to apply now the new covenant to the results of Christ's sacrifice. And I'm going to do it. I myself am going to do it. That's what it means when it says in verse 15, the Holy Spirit also bears witness. You see, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, is the key text for this whole section that began way back in chapter 8, verse 1, and really ends right here in chapter 10, verse 18. It's actually the main theological argument from Hebrews 5.1 to 10.18. Now, that's a good thing to write down. See, that helps you interpret. If you want to interpret Hebrews 5.1 to 10.18, understand Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, because in God's mind, and he's the one that wrote it, he's simply fleshing that out, this new covenant in those chapters. So what we have here is the future expectation of this new covenant. Jeremiah was written back in 500 BC. This future expectation of this new covenant The covenant spoken of in Jeremiah 31, 
1 to 34, has now become a reality through Christ's atoning sacrifice on the cross. That's the summary statement on verses 15 to 18. The new covenant that people were anticipating, didn't know exactly what it would look like, is now fulfilled in Christ and his atoning sacrifice on the cross. The perfection of Christ's sacrifice, one for us, is here confirmed. And we're able to now obey God from the heart because of Christ's sacrifice. This is the punchline, folks. This is the main theme of this passage. We are now able to obey God from the heart because of Christ's sacrifice. Do you want to obey God from the heart? Or you just want to go along, kind of limping along with a low-grade fever of guilt because you know what to do, but you don't do it? Do do you want to wake up every morning and saying, I burn with the desire to obey God? There's something in me that says this is right, but I often burn with desires just the opposite. Do you want to change? This is your hope and your promise. No matter if your change is in a relatively small area, like getting mad in traffic tomorrow morning on the Palmetto, or in a huge area, maybe a, a marriage-destroying adultery that you're considering right now, or huge anger and bitterness that's separating you from people. Remember, to God, there's no big or little. Any sin is massive. Judgment is on you. This is the hope that I'm not a phony that I obey God from the heart, not to get something from him. Do you want that? Do you want a clean conscience? Do you want to live for something more than just yourself? Do you want to really live for the will of God like Jesus came to live for the will of God and reflect him? Here's our hope. It's not in the law. It's in grace. Jesus has forgiven your sins. He knows who you are. He's qualified you to draw near. And he'll give you a heart to obey him. That's what verses 15 to 18 are all about. Look at verse 16. Here in verse 16, we see that Christ's sacrifice is the means by which God puts his laws on our hearts and minds. Remember, we're applying the Jeremiah New Covenant to the results of Christ's uh, sacrifice. And in, verses, in verse 16, here's what we're talking about. Look, let me read them to you. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, quoting from Jeremiah 31. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Folks, this points to an obedience to God from the heart that was expected by the old covenant, but accomplished by the new covenant sacrifice of Christ. Jews knew they were supposed to live this way, but they couldn't. And they survived year by year, limping along with a guilty conscience. And Jesus comes and says, I fulfill it. And so this little band of Hebrew Christians huddled in the living room, in the shadow of the temple, the impressive temple, with priests standing and giving sacrifices every day. And they're wondering, should I go back to there? He's saying, no, it's accomplished. What the old covenant tells you you're supposed to do is heartfelt obedience to God. Christ fulfills. Because he's going to put his laws not on you, but in, on your mind, in your mind, in your heart. This speaks of heartfelt obedience. And look at verse 17. And then he adds, now quoting again from Jeremiah 31, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Oh, friends, 
when we read here that God will remember our sins and lawless deeds no more, this speaks of the forgiveness of our sin that forms the basis of our relationship with God and the motivation for living every day with a deep, heartfelt desire to obey God. This is what it means to be made perfect. This is what it means to be sanctified. We are now free to seek God and obey Him from the heart. Do you want that? I do. It's impossible by my own efforts, but it's possible by the sacrifice of Christ. And verse 18. Verse 18 points us back to Christ once again. It points us back to the atoning sacrifice. For, 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 for this, the atoning sacrifice on the cross, once and for all, is where forgiveness of sins occurs. And so therefore, it says, where there is forgiveness of sins at the cross, there is no longer any offering for sin. No more crosses need to happen. Don't go back to that place. They're still offering for sin. Why? Because they haven't received it. Go to the cross. Stop going back to where you're going to try to get your mind atoned for, self-atonement. You know, if I, if I sin, maybe if I just do a bunch of really good things, God will, you know, he'll accept me again. Kind of like when you blow it with your wife, men, right? You're thinking maybe some good chocolates and some nice gifts, and I'll get back into her graces. Or we blow it with each other. Don't take that mindset to God. There's one sacrifice. It's done. That's what verse 18 means. And it's the atoning sacrifice of Christ on the cross. There's an old hymn entitled, Jesus Paid It All. And it has a curious second verse. Would you please show that second verse? Verse 2 of Jesus Paid It All says this, Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. Now, this verse, this verse comes from a biblical illustration from Jeremiah 13, 23. If you have your Bibles, turn to Jeremiah 13, 23. It comes from a biblical illustration from Jeremiah 13, 23. This verse right here. Jeremiah 13, 23. Please turn in your Bibles, my friends. Jeremiah 13, 23, says the following. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then also you can do good who are accustomed to do evil. (laughs) Now God has a sense of humor. This is ironic, or some people say ironical. Here's the question for you. Can an Ethiopian change the color of his skin? I don't think so. Can a a leopard rub the spots off its back? I don't think so. Well, if they can, then people who are accustomed to doing evil, you and me, can suddenly live for doing good. Well, that's not real encouraging, Al. No, you're right, it's not, but it's true. It's true. It's true, because why does a leopard have spots? Because the mama and daddy leopard had spots. Because like begets like. So daddy has spots, children have spots. And what's the point here? Our daddy had spots. It's called sin. Our daddy, he didn't fall. Adam did not fall. R.C. Sproul, I heard him say this for the first time when I was in seminary. He says, man didn't fall. It's like, you know, he's walking around, there's just a big hole, and he, oh, he fell. No way. Man looked at it and dove in with glee. And he said, God, I'm not going to obey you. I'm going to rebel against you. I'm going to disobey you. And our daddy, 
got the spots. And we're born with the spots. And we are born not to obey God. We are not born to give God heartfelt obedience. We're born to try to pay God off so we can still do our own thing. God, here's some money. God, here's some time. God, I'll come to church. Back then, God, I'll sacrifice some bulls and goats. God, just get off my back. God, I'll put you as like a little little pendant on my chain here, but I'm going to do my own thing. And God says, no. 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 Don't come with the religion. Obey me. And when we get real with God, we say, I can't. I've been trying to scratch the spots off with my good works, and I can't do it. This isn't just for the moment you're saved. It's for every day of your life. You can't relate to God according to your good works. You cannot do it. Does that mean good works aren't important? No, they are. But today's not about that. Today's about how you're going to relate to God. So Papa and Mama Leopard gave Baby Leopard spots, and he can't change. And Baby Leopard is in bondage to those spots. He's in bondage to those spots, just like we're in bondage to our spots, to our sin. But as the hymn writer writes, because she understood the truths of Scripture, and as Hebrews 10, 1 to 18 tells us, the leper can change his spots. The rebel can learn to obey God from the heart by Christ's sacrifice and his sacrifice alone. Jesus perfects us and sanctifies us by his sacrifice so that we may desire to obey God from the heart and actually do it. The leper's spots can change through Christ's sacrifice. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you came and sacrificed your body so that I might obey the Father from my heart. Lord, I'm not born with that. Lord, even as a believer, there are days I just don't want to obey you. I just don't want to sacrifice anymore. I'm tired of serving others. I just want to serve me. And Lord, I repent to you. And And I thank you that you've cleansed my conscience. There are things even that are coming to my mind right now. And I thank you that I don't have to self-atone for them. I don't have to work those off like demerit points. But Jesus wipes it clean by grace. Not so that I'm free to sin some more. No. But so that I'm free to obey you. Oh God, help us to get this. We don't get it by nature. It just doesn't, un- it doesn't make sense to us. We don't understand that we can't work up to your favor. Lord, I pray right now, if there's someone that's an unbeliever, that it's, that's just always thought Christians were phony and hypocritical, <clears throat> that even right now you would show them these truths and it would break their heart and they would run to you in repentance. And for the Christian who's hiding a sin, for the Christian who's discouraged by a sin, oh Lord, that you would give them hope. They would draw near to you and stop running from you. They would pray, they would confess their sin, they would read your word. And for the Christian right now that is sitting there, thinking they're just fine, thank you very much. I'm glad I'm not like these other sinners. Oh, they're the ones in the worst problem right now. They're the self-righteous ones. Oh, help us. All of us. The self-righteous one. The unbeliever. The condemned sinner. Oh, God. God, the, the pathway is narrow. There's so many, there's ditches on either side of this pathway. We careen down the pathway, bouncing from self-righteous arrogance to pathetic condemnation and running from you. Help us to drive down the middle by grace. 
because Jesus paid it all. Now, I understand that each one of us is going to apply this differently. So as the, as the band plays, we're going to be having the words up. If you know the song, please feel free to sing. This is about you and the Lord right now. Don't be distracted. Whatever God is, is leading you to do to apply and deepen and pray and think about these truths, please do it as we sing Jesus paid it all.